Good evening. I'm Alfred Hitchcock. And I'm Al Scherzma. Welcome to Presenting Alfred Hitchcock Presents, presented by the Ann Arbor District Library, a podcast in which I plan to look at all seven seasons of the original Alfred Hitchcock Presents TV series and all three seasons of the Alfred Hitchcock Hour, show by show, in chronological order, till death do us part. That, unfortunately, was my Alfred Hitchcock impression, and with any luck, you'll never hear it again. Hitchcock has become such a figure of pop culture that you still occasionally hear people say things like, good evening, almost 40 years after his death. Some people might not even realize where that comes from. And, of course, there were all sorts of parodies during the run of the show, or even after the end of the show. Here, for instance, is John Candy on SCTV sometime in the late 1970s. Tonight's story takes place in a not-so-very-merry old England. It's the story of a woman whose greed is matched only by her avarice, and a man whose ambition is matched only by his tie. Our story in a moment. Now, I grew up in the 1960s, at a time of uh, great black-and-white film noir television programs. Uh, And the best of those, I always thought, were the anthology shows. Twilight Zone, Outer Limits, Thriller, hosted by Boris Karloff, and, of course, Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Now, Alfred Hitchcock Presents started in 1955. It wasn't the first of these kinds of shows. Tales of Tomorrow was already around. Suspense had made a transition from radio to television. But it had one thing that the other shows didn't have, and that was Alfred Hitchcock. At this point, Hitchcock was already a famous director, already known as the master of suspense, He directed The Man Who Knew Too Much, the first one, The 39 Steps, Notorious, Strangers on a Train. He'd been nominated four times already as Best Director in the Academy Awards for Rebecca, Lifeboat, Spellbound, and Rear Window, though he didn't win for any of those. He was at the height of his lush Hollywood career, having made in the last few years Dial M for Murder, Rear Window, and To Catch a Thief. He was 56 years old and still churning out a movie every year, and he didn't have much time for much of anything else. But he also was a name, a brand. Uh, He was known to people because of his cameos in all of his films. They recognized him. There was already a 1947 book entitled Alfred Hitchcock's Fireside Book of Suspense, which was subtitled, Edited and with Introductory Notes by Mr. Hitchcock. So eight years before the start of the television show, there were already books with Hitchcock's name. And these books continued through the television show, taking advantage of the television show, eventually playing off of the television shows. These continued even after the show went off the air. You had titles like Stories That Scared Even Me, Stories They Wouldn't Let Me Do on TV, Stories to Be Read with the Doors Locked, 
And, of course, stories to be read with the lights on, uh, which I think you always need to do when you read a story, is leave the lights on. The Alfred Hitchcock Mystery Magazine was starting up at around the same time as the television program. It still exists today. All sorts of licensing was going on. You had collectibles like board games, LPs, calendars, and even, at one point, bars of soap manufactured by Ivory and offered in uh, hotels. The wrapper featured Alfred Hitchcock Presents on the front and Hitchcock's silhouette on the back. And that little piece of trivia comes from the Alfred Hitchcock Presents Companion, written by Martin Grahams Jr. and Patrick Wickstrom. That book and another, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, an illustrated guide to the 10-year television career of the Master of Suspense, by John McCarty and Brian Kelleher are going to be two of my main references during the course of this podcast. They're both chock full of information. They go show by show. Unfortunately, a number of the shows are inaccurate in the show by shows as if the writers didn't actually get a chance to watch the shows before they did synopses of them. But in general, I think the information is solid. So uh, I will be referring to those two books at various times. Now, the question still is, with all of this other stuff going on, how did Hitchcock actually end up with a television show? Well, here are Patricia Hitchcock, Hitchcock's daughter, Hilton A. Green, who was an assistant director on the show starting with the second season, and Norman Lloyd, who was an associate producer starting with the second season, and who, by the way, at the time of this recording, is still alive at the age of 103. And speaking of that, Pat Hitchcock is also still alive. She's 89 years old. Vera Miles, who stars in the first episode, is 88 years old. Hilton A. Green, unfortunately, passed away in 2013. This is from a bonus feature on the Alfred Hitchcock Presents Season 1 DVD set, which is available for checkout at the library. A little feature entitled Alfred Hitchcock Presents A Look Back. Lou Wasserman was an agent for MCA, which was Music Corporation of America, who became my father's agent, and then Lou Wasserman took care of him. And of course, eventually, they were, became the closest of friends. Mr. Wasserman wanted to make television shows, so he started a company, an offshoot of MCA, called Review Productions. The first shows we did were out at Republic Studios, and we stayed there until they bought Universal when we moved to Universal in 1959. Lou Wasserman, who was the most brilliant of agents, and also, he saw much farther than other people where you could take this business. And with Hitch, for whom he had a great affection and was a good friend of Hitch's, he saw the possibility of making him a world figure. He thought that it would be great to have a, a television show. And he didn't think my father was going to agree to it at all. And my father loved it. <laughs> Don't you love the bombastic music they used for the background of that? So that was Pat Hitchcock and um, Hilton Green and Norman Lloyd in that order. 
talking about how uh, Lou Wasserman came up with the idea of making an Alfred Hitchcock television program. Here's McCarty and Kelleher from their Alfred Hitchcock Presents show-by-show book. When he agreed to do the series, he signed a lucrative contract to produce the show under his own company banner, which he named Shamley Productions, at a fee of $129,000 per episode, the rights reverting to him after first broadcast. In effect, he owned the show. So the deal was quickly completed. It was quickly picked up by a sponsor, who was Bristol Myers, who at the time owned Bufferin, Excedrin, Vitalis, Band Deodorant, products like that. Neither Bristol Myers nor CBS requested a pilot. The show went right on the air. Now, this was back in the days when a single company would sponsor the whole show, which gave them clout over the content. Bristol Myers frowned on people being killed with pills or other medicines that might reflect badly on them. And they weren't pleased with Hitchcock's knocks on the sponsor, but they changed their tune when they got letters from viewers praising them for being good sports about the whole thing. Here's Hitchcock as quoted in The Films of Alfred Hitchcock, a book by Robert A. Harris and Michael S. Lasky. My guess is that my sponsor enjoys my lack of obsequiousness but in the beginning had difficulty in getting used to my approach, and they took umbrage at my less-than-worshipful remarks. However, the moment they became aware of the commercial effects of my belittling, they stopped questioning the propriety of my cracks. The tradition is that the sponsor must be coddled. In such an atmosphere, I was a novelty. And here's Hitchcock, as quoted in The Alfred Hitchcock Presents Companion by Martin Grahams Jr. and Patrick Wickstrom. There were some misgivings, I suppose. From time to time, certain phrases have crept in that may not have been entirely to the liking of Bristol-Myers. Once, I said, the views expressed in the following commercial are strictly those of the sponsor. They didn't like that. I could see their point of view, too. Afterward, I changed it slightly. I said, the views expressed here are entirely those of the sponsor. And I did a look, you know to show that perhaps I really didn't mean it. Okay, so the show has been conceived, and a sponsor's been brought on, and CBS has bought the program. So now the program has to come together. Joan Harrison was in charge of the entire Alfred Hitchcock Presents. She came with my mother and father in England. She was a scriptwriter, and I can remember them working the three of them, uh, Joan, my mother, and my father. And then when he decided to come over to this country, he asked Joan if she would come with him, and she agreed. In fact, she and I shared a stateroom on the Queen Mary. She did not like boats at all and was seasick the whole time. <laughs> but she was a wonderful person and really brilliant. So that was Pat Hitchcock again talking about Joan Harrison, who became the associate producer of the television series. She was later joined by Norman Lloyd in the second season, and the two of them did most of the selections of stories for the program. Most of the episodes of Alfred Hitchcock Presents were based on short stories and novels. They, for the most part, were not original scripts. Here's Norman Lloyd talking about that. We would find the stories and submit them to Hitch for approval. 
and we would not go into screenplay, so to speak, without first getting his approval for every single story. Having done that, Joan and myself would hire the writer and get a screenplay. These would be sent up to Hitch, and it was assumed he read them, and if there was any problem, you'd hear back. Very rarely. Usually, when he had an idea that would enhance the project, that would give you a twist that was even better than what you had. But the running of the show was left to us. I think it's fair to say that Joan Harrison selected which shows Hitch would do. We would go over the stories and uh, she'd say, this one, Hitch should do this. So this seems like a good time to mention that Alfred Hitchcock directed 18 of the episodes, including the first one. That's out of 361 episodes. So a Hitchcock-directed episode is a special treat in the show. This is Hilton Green talking about how Hitchcock went about filming the television programs. He liked the same crews around him at all times. He had a crew that did all his features with him, each one. And then uh, when he started in television, of course, he didn't have a crew and it was kind of awkward for him at the beginning, I believe. Then when once he got to know certain individuals, they stayed with him on every show that he directed. Okay, so let's get into the guts of the program itself. It begins with that very familiar music, which is the Funeral March of a Marionette by 19th century composer Charles Gounod. Chosen by Hitchcock himself, the story goes that he heard it when he saw F.W. Murnau's silent film, Sunrise. So how do you get memorable music in a silent movie? Well, apparently F.W. Murnau requested that the funeral march of a marionette be played in a certain scene of Sunrise. And Hitchcock heard it, and it stuck with him for all those years following. Okay, so you start with the music, and then the lights come up to show what is now a very familiar silhouette. Oh, I think uh, drawing the silhouette, um, he started that in England a long, long time, very, very early on. His profile became very famous, just the profile that he had drawn. Now, the idea in the main title of his profile being up there and then he walking in and fitting his own person into the profile in time to the music. So after Hitchcock's shadowy profile joins his silhouette, the camera pans to the right to a uh, white screen that then dissolves into the opening in which Alfred Hitchcock, in his droll London accent, tells us about the upcoming story that we're about to see. Or sometimes he doesn't tell us anything about the story we're about to see. Here's Norman Lloyd again. The lead-ins and the lead-outs that Hitch did with every show, it must be mentioned that these were written by a man who I think had a spark of genius, James Allardyce. 
and he wrote every single one of those lead-ins. But it must be said that while Hitch's lead-ins would not have been as brilliant as they were without Allardyce, vice versa was also the case, because without Hitch, Allardyce would not have had this, if you'll excuse me, this vessel <laughs> in which to promulgate these mad ideas that he did for a period of 10 years. Now, James Allardyce had been a playwright. He'd achieved a modicum of success with a play called At War with the Army on Broadway. The play was bought by Hollywood, and it was turned into a Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis comedy. Allardyce came to the West Coast to work on the screenplay, and then he eventually became a writer of comedy sketches, and he won an Emmy as a writer of comedy sketches. Uh, he was also an MCA client, and MCA recommended him to Hitchcock, and apparently they hit it off immediately. Here's Allardyce talking about Hitchcock from the Alfred Hitchcock Presents show-by-show -show book. He is a very detached man, Allardyce said, and by the very act of being detached, he takes the curse off any horror or brutality that might otherwise offend. He once told me that he never lets his characters do what they are talking about or talk about what they are doing. He thus detaches them from themselves and keeps things from getting too sticky. You watch a love scene of his, the couple will be all but strangling one another, but they'll be talking about what's for dinner. James Allardyce died at the age of 46 of a heart attack at the end of 10 seasons of Hitchcock Presents and the Alfred Hitchcock Hour. Here's Norman Lloyd from, once again, the Alfred Hitchcock Presents book. Jimmy Allardyce was a wonderful little guy. He died, strangely enough, in the 10th year of the show, much too young. I always felt that when Hitch said he didn't want to go on with the series any longer, it was because he knew there would never be another Jimmy Allardyce and that he didn't want to risk it. Of course, by that time, after 10 years, Hitch had also had it with the show. But Allardyce's untimely death was a major contributing factor, too, I am convinced. The thing that um, made Allardyce and Hitchcock work so well together, for the most part, was their sense of humor. Hitchcock described it as a strictly British sense of humor, a humor of the macabre. Here he is talking about that, once again, from the Alfred Hitchcock Presents book. It's like the joke about the man who was being led to the gallows, which was flimsily constructed, and he asked in some alarm, I say, is that thing safe? So if you find that funny, you probably find Hitchcock's intros and outros funny as well. Mr. Hitchcock would always do the lead-in and lead-outs for every show, and what we would do was be every, oh golly, six weeks maybe or five weeks, he would come in and do oh, 10 lead-ins or 10 lead a day's work, in other words. And we had a lot of fun with them because uh, they poked fun at him in many, in many instances. Even on stage when he was doing it, he played it very straight. The Hitchcock openings were really the hit of the program. The episodes are varied. Some great, some good, some not so good. But Hitchcock's always there with the opening and the closing, giving you something that is odd and unusual. 
In his September 16, 1955 review, New York Herald Tribune television critic John Crosby wrote, The best thing about Alfred Hitchcock Presents is Alfred Hitchcock presenting. And that may be true, actually, though there's some pretty great shows. All right, so now we have an opening. We have the opening music. We have Alfred Hitchcock's intro. Now we need a rough cut of the show itself. So here's Norman Lloyd explaining again. This show was all Hitchcock. It wasn't about Joan or about me. It was about the star. He was our star. But when we had a rough cut, we had to call him. And we brought the picture up to him. And he would look at it. And his reactions were fascinating. If he liked it very much, he'd say, good. If he didn't like it very much, he'd say, thank you. <laughs> and sort of leave the projection room. That sounds like my cue to also say thank you and leave the projection room. But before I do, I want to mention that Alfred Hitchcock Presents Season 1, which includes the short feature Alfred Hitchcock Presents A Look Back, is available at the Ann Arbor District Library on DVD. So next time, we'll get down to the details. Episode 1, Revenge, starring Ralph Meeker and Vera Miles, and directed by Alfred Hitchcock. Until then, good night.